Hello and welcome to Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host today, Brendan Clean. Evan is away. He went and visited some family this weekend, missed out on two pretty bad losses for the Suns this weekend. So I don't think he is too disappointed at all to not be joining us today. But in his stead, I brought on a guest to recap the back-to-back this weekend. Suns lost, for those of you who somehow missed, uh, 117 to 96 on Saturday in Memphis. And then tonight, Sunday night in Oklahoma City, they lost again, 117 to 110, a little bit closer for this one. Uh, we're going to recap the same way we always do for the most part, talk a little bit about the first six games a little more broadly as well. But like I said, brought a guest on for you guys. That's Kellen Olson of Arizona Sports, who you guys will know well as the former host of this show, as well as uh, constantly in your airwaves elsewhere on Arizona Sports. So, Kellen, I, my dog is barking to show his anger at the Suns as well. But um, how did you, how did you react to not only two pretty bad losses, but the first six games. Was this more of the same or was there any positive signs to take away from a Devin Bookerless Suns team going on the road and not showing much fight at all? Uh, I, th- I think there were positives scattered throughout. I-, I think this is kind of what we expected to a certain extent. Now I'm, I'm not defending the effort or the transition defense or the sloppy turnovers, which I'm sure we'll get to, which have really been the crux of the team right now. But we didn't expect them to like go three and three or four and two to start the season, right? This isn't what, really what we were expecting. But with that being said, I think that the column analysis thingy that I wrote after the first three games were like this defense looks like it could be the worst in the league. And just in terms of the basic concepts that they're screwing up, this could be a really long year again because this is not these are not the types of mistakes that you can make. If you even want to be 23rd, 24th best uh, defense in the league, that's like, those are mistakes that a bottom three defense in the league makes. And those happened a whole lot in the Laker game. And they didn't happen as much in these last two games, which I think was something that I noticed that was a bit better, but I think this has overall been what I expected, but I think the most disappointing part of, what we've expected is that the effort and the defensive intensity and the transition defense and the turnovers have been much worse than anyone could reasonably expect just from an NBA team in general, I would say even with the point guard situation and uh, everything around the roster, like Booker being out. Yeah. Again, we will get to the normal way we like to recap here, but speaking more generally, how much, I mean, one thing I've been like, kind of philosophically struggling with trying to measure is just because I listened to a few Rockets people before the season who were kind of under rating Ariza relative to, I think obviously his national reputation as a starter on what was an, an amazing team last year in Houston and throughout his career being on good teams really the whole time kind of saying like, you know, he's more of a cog than I think national people like to, admit and he's not going to be missed here in Houston. And I was trying to balance that with the, you know, what I expected from him, which is to be a pretty solid player. And I know there's off the court stuff that a veteran brings and um, that's seems like it's happening, but at the same time, he is just a wing. Those guys are probably all things considered, even though the positionless stuff is so important today. Like 
a guy like him is one of the least important individual pieces of a defense. Um, and that seems to be not only with Ariza, but Jackson and Bridges and, and even Warren, a place where the Suns have a lot of defensive upside. How much of like that team construction is coming back to bite the Suns when you see Aiton still being a rookie, obviously? There's really not a point guard on this roster, somebody who can consistently defend point guards. And the best player on the team has been pretty bad on that end. Like, How much of the construction of the team itself do you think is to blame for this situation right now? A whole lot of it. And the people who want to point fingers at Ryan McDonough, especially, I'm sure you can point your fingers right now the most than maybe you ever could uh, with Ryan McDonough. I know the Isaiah Thomas trade was pretty bad at all, but it was it was extremely inexcusable. I I think that's the I, I kind of had a semi rant on our podcast about a month before the season started and about two weeks before preseason. And my point was pretty much that if this is the point guard rotation, this is completely unacceptable for what they have been saying that they want to do. And then even more so, this happened a couple weeks later, but Robert Sarver goes on Arizona Sports, goes on Burns and Gambo, and says that the rebuild is over. The rebuild is not over if you have this as your point guard rotation. Even if Devin Booker is your point guard, that's not going to work. And that we, we've seen that in a little stretch so far. I'm not saying that this, this is not a point I'm trying to make about point book, but it's just more so that, they clearly should have taken the money they spent on Trevor Reza and instead spent it on a point guard, or they clearly should have tried much, much harder during that free agency period to trade for a stopgap point guard, not even someone like Terry Rozier or all the bigger names we've heard, like Damian Lillard or Kemba Walker that they've supposedly uh, reportedly inquired about. And to me, it's just looking at guys that they could have got. Like even, uh, I believe it was uh, Jeff Allen who tweeted out when Shelvin Mack was getting his business done for the Grizzlies. Oh my gosh, I've been on Shelvin Mack for months. Yeah, exactly. Just a guy like that. Yeah, yeah. So even a guy like Shelvin Mack signed for the veterans minimum last year. A while into free agency too. It's not like he was off the the shelf at, you know, July 2nd. Like he was there in August. And the guy that sun signed for the veteran minimum was Jamal Crawford (laughs) the day the season started. So I I think that can show where just the lack of I would be, I think there's a lot of things like me, you and a lot of people listening. If they had three questions for Ryan McDonough and Robert Sarver in a room and they had to get an honest answer, no matter what, I think honestly at the top of my list right now would be like, what was the honest plan at point guard once Brandon Knight got traded, what was the plan? Because clearly the plan did not follow through because if this was their plan, it was moronic because we're seeing the bad effects it can have. I mean, look, Josh Jackson is playing like crap right now. Don't get me wrong, but a point guard would sure help him. It would sure help Deandre Ayton. It would sure help a lot of these guys. And you just cannot, no matter how much you believe in positionless basketball or sure Josh Jackson can run the offense and stretches or yeah, point book can be point book. You need a point guard. You're always going to need a point guard and you can't have a two guard or a three be your point guard. That's just not the way this works. Even a guy like Isaiah Kanan is someone that I believed should be on the team because of his experience. But even him, uh, especially in that Memphis game, I'm sure you picked up on it. Just seeing some of the, pick and roll reads he was missing like swinging the ball to the weak side when there was space over there there were just there were shooters open a lot when he was running pick and roll and he just wasn't finding them and that to me is just it's so clear where the effects are and then the turnovers as well and I think it has a whole lot to do with their start of the season and it's extremely frustrating I I can't imagine being a, a fan of the team or 
even even worse, like a fan who has season tickets right now and just looking at this and hearing about all this rebuilding being over and this is the time where we're going to start winning and this is the point guard rotation you see and you see the clear negative effects it's having on the team. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the the point you made about what the plan was supposed to be and how it got to where we are now is is right on the money because there's no way this was exactly how it was supposed to go. There's no way that Isaiah Canaan was intended to be the opening night starter or the game six starter or the starter at any point the entire year. And Jamal Crawford, as um, much as I think maybe he does make sense in some areas, the way that they're using him right now is never, he's really never even been effective in that role. If not, you know, it was a decade ago, but before we move on, we will do the, typical free throws like Evan and I do with Kellen today too. But one last question before we go into that on the point guard topic, just because we haven't had you on in a little while is looking at that December 15th deadline when guys are who signed this summer are eligible to be traded. Once again, a lot of those one year contracts are going to probably be moved this year because the team really won't have any attachment to those players. Uh, They're incumbent teams, um, players like Trevor Ariza, do you have your eye on anyone or have you just given up hope on trying to guess what the the plan is here with the point guard rotation? Is there someone you think can help that's reasonably gettable or do you kind of just let it ride out at this point and see what happens? I don't really have my eye on anyone if I'm being honest, because I think there's so much wrong with this team and there's so much to evaluate on this team already that I haven't really gotten that far. I think that's something for me personally, where I'll look at it more towards the like end of November and out towards there. I'm more worried about just a panic trade happening. Uh, I was worried about it after the Laker game. I'm worried about it now. Every game the Wizards lose, I'm more horrified that the Suns are going to trade for John Wall. It doesn't help when Josh Jackson's playing poorly, too. It's lining up in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and, and like the thing is, I'm actually a huge John Wall fan. Those who have followed me on Twitter quite a long time know that like I, I love Optimus Dime, but that contract is so horrible, and he's clearly there's clearly something not a hundred percent right with him when it comes to him being your best player on the team. And it would actually be a good thing for the Suns for the first year or two, of course, but obviously it would just be awful because he's making, I believe like $45 million at the end of that contract. And that would be when Aiden's 24 and Booker's 26 or whatever. And that would obviously be awful for the Suns. And I just, I just worry that some kind of move like that is coming. And Wall is the one right now that makes more sense. Uh, apparently, I haven't been following the Wizards situation at all. But apparently, they came out. Uh, I think it was Matt Moore tweeting this, or it was Ben Golliver or someone. Uh, he retweeted where they were saying that the Wizards came out and said a lot of positive things, things after their last loss. They lost 136 to 97 tonight. So it doesn't, doesn't yeah. seem like their situation is getting much better at all right now. And yet, I'm just, I'm, that's what I'm the most concerned about right now is just a huge panic trade. Not even the fact that you're giving up on someone like Josh Jackson or drastically overpaying. It's just more so screwing up your long term future on both ends by giving yourself a poor cap situation in the future with getting someone like Wall. Well, and things do certainly, if you compare it to the Blake Griffin deal with Detroit last year, there are some similarities as far as desperation go between the Sun situation now. They've kind of changed all the other parts of their team uh, to try and and figure this out. And it's not working like they had hoped. They have a lot of young pieces. It's, it's kind of similar if you 
um, think about it in a negative way, I guess, assuming that the Suns are looking for something desperate like that. There is a way to convince yourself that they could be looking into wall. But um, I wanted to go to the free throws like Evan and I normally do. We'll just do one each since we covered a lot of the general stuff already. But uh, one that I was already planning to bring up that kind of segues pretty nicely into this discussion that really is dominating the team. Not a surprise we started here is just the point guard rotation in general. But a guy today against the Thunder that we saw a lot of, especially in the fourth quarter when Isaiah Kanan was uh, benched due to injury was Elia Kobo, who scored 18 points, obviously a career high across the board for him, seven assists, five rebounds as well, um, compared to only three turnovers, which seven assists to three turnovers is like a cause for a, a monument to be built for the guy outside the stadium at this point. And I guess I was impressed um, just to see him kind of do it in extended run, but I, he's been somebody who I think has looked not just good, like, oh, he can make a pretty jumper and he has that rainbow shot and can do some fun passes and stuff. But he's looked like a guy, even through the preseason, when so many of the point guards were struggling, Jack Harrison, Anthony Melton, et cetera, who has seemed like he gets what the offense is trying to do more than pretty much anyone on the roster. And to see that kind of come true today where he's scoring, putting up assist numbers was just nice. What were your impressions of Okobo? Yeah, so I had a actually different reaction to his fourth quarter. I thought it was really important because I w- I did not like the way that he was playing up to this point because Okobo was a guy who came out of France and was known for his scoring. He was known for his combo guard type skills and he was transitioning into being a point guard. And what I've seen out of him throughout the whole season is a guy that just doesn't realize when he should be aggressive. And that's what he was really known for was being this erratic type of hot and cold player in France. And you never know what you were going to get out of him each night, but he was certainly always aggressive and it was just like bad shots and things like that. So to see him get switched, have Omri Caspi switched on him in the corner with no one around him and just pass out of it. And then he, he had a backdoor cut right after that and he missed the layup, but to see him not just attack that guy off the dribble. And then there was another example of that tonight. I can't remember what exactly the situation was. I think it was like, it was semi-transition. It was three on three and he kind of dribbled it out, played it slow and ran the offense, which is kind of what you're talking about. And then he looks comfortable running the offense. But to me, I want to see him more comfortable attacking. And that's why I really liked what I saw tonight. And just more so that he got in a groove, obviously, and finished with 18 points, seven assists, five rebounds. So that type of performance is what he can build off in the future going forward and have more confidence to actually attack because I think that's where he's the best. Uh, we saw him tonight and uh, Kanan obviously got hurt and everything, but I, I believe at the start it was more because he, he got the early look um, yeah. for, for Kanan coming out, but I still think he really took advantage of the time in the fourth quarter. It was garbage time, so I'm not really going to read too much into it in terms of how much he can contribute right away, but I will say that something we're going to probably get into is the rotations and veterans and rookies and who should get playing time and whatever. I think it's pretty clear that Okobo has just played better than Jamal Crawford and Jamal Crawford has been pretty awful. And the thing about signing Crawford is once the Suns signed Crawford, everyone knows what that means. They know that he's going to play right away and he's going to play in the way of someone who deserves minutes that's young because of where he was going to play which is point guard or shooting guard somewhere where Mikhail Bridges could have played for example at the two maybe Josh Jackson gets more minutes there even someone like Ariza gets more minutes so that way it goes back around and Jackson or whoever gets minutes at the three and it turns out that 
through the at least first four games uh, or four or five games that Crawford has played, I've, I've been extremely unimpressed. And I was someone who actually liked the move for what it was. But I think that it's it's time to move on, and especially when Ellie has a game like this. And when Booker's back in the rotation, I think there's only going to be time for one of them to play, and I think it should be a Kobo. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about Crawford now. We might as well. Evan and I were getting into it a little bit as well the last time we recorded just the quote he had the other night after the uh, Lakers game. He said, you know, I'm not here to commandeer possessions or really, you know, assert myself in any kind of way. I came to this team to just add whatever I can and to me. Like, I mean, you want to believe a guy like that, but he waited all summer to find a situation that he thought made sense for him. And to me, you know, not playing, not playing the style you want to play, not having the ball in your hands seems like the opposite of what Jamal Crawford would have waited an entire summer looking for. And you look a lot of the time when the offense kind of falls apart and he he's on the court, he just does what he's always done, which is, you know, go, go at it in isolation, try to get buckets. Not that that's been his MO every minute he's been on the court, but that certainly happened. And that's just never going to be productive on a team that has so many turnover problems right now is having trouble getting its offense in rhythm. It's, it's just so opposite of what needs to be happening to have somebody like Crawford on the court, who's just going to grab the ball and try to, you know, pull up. And it's the, the, the thing that's so frustrating about Crawford sometimes is it's probably going to work a lot, but looking up and down at what's going wrong with this team, he's really not helping much of any of it. No, I mean, he's. I'm looking at the stats right now. He's averaging only 0.8 turnovers a game, which is a minute number when you look at some of the numbers other sons are putting up yeah, at the moment fair. at turnovers. But his assist is only 1.4. So, so it's not like he's coming out there and really running the offense. But with that being said, he's running pick and roll with Tyson Chandler every single time down the floor, yeah. which I just don't understand why it's happening. And I get that that's the system and it's built around a guy like DeAndre. And so Tyson Chandler's going to come in there and do some of the similar stuff that Aiden does in the, within the system. But uh, my God, I mean, I'm not going to read into net ratings too much through five or six games, but in Crawford's 58 minutes, the Suns have a 140.9 defensive rating. They have a negative 48.9 rating when he's on the floor, <laughs> net rating. And that's, that's obviously just god awful in very small sample size of course under 60 minutes but i think it's it's worth mentioning because of how off the charts bad it is it, even compared to some of the guys on this team that are really struggling like trevor reza for example has a negative 18.7 net rating even some like ryan anderson has a negative 5.9 net rating and you look at crawford's and, and it's just off the charts chandler's at a negative 33 net rating as well they're not doing he's not doing much better than uh, Crawford and those two guys to me it's clear that they just do not contribute well to this team in, in any way and the thing is that's frustrating to me is seeing them catch some flack and I, I think they're actually trying to do what they're supposed to do I see Crawford making passes attempting to make passes a lot I see Chandler really trying to fill that role of the diver more than he ever has in his time in Phoenix but they just don't have it anymore yeah. And they just need to move on to guys like Rashawn Holmes and Elliot Kobo. And I think there's a balance with giving up on your veterans and just giving guys the time who deserve it. And it's clear that they do at a certain point. I don't think we're there with guys like Ryan Anderson, and Trevor Reese yet, but I think we're there already with guys like Chandler and Crawford, especially for how small the role is. And, and look, if Tyson Chandler isn't okay with that, then just get rid of him. Honestly, um, he, he's just been terrible so far and clearly doesn't have it on either end anymore. 
And I think it's just, it's not, I'm not saying they should release him, but I'm saying under the circumstances in which he's not happy with Rashawn Holmes getting more minutes than him, then fine. Just let him go. If you don't want that floating around your locker room. Yeah, I agree. I think that those guys especially are, were there with them. Um, do you have a general takeaway that we haven't gotten to from these two games, especially that is worth, uh, worth mentioning here as kind of a broader just point? Yeah, uh, I wanted to mention this earlier, so we got positive quick before it could turn so uh-huh. negative so fast. Oops, uh, that's when, but, when I host, I guess that's what happens. <laughs> no, I, I'm the most, everyone knows I'm like pessimistic <laughs> and negative by nature, but that's what happens when you cover really bad basketball teams for a couple of years. Uh, my uh, free throw was on DeAndre Ayton on Saturday night. He was awesome. He had 24 points, eight rebounds, and five assists. He only missed one shot. And this is going to be one of those games where people who aren't watching the Suns are going to see that line. And it's going to look similar to maybe tonight's line, for example, where he had 16 points and 11 rebounds and three assists. Sure, it's a little less here and there, but it's still the same sort of productive line. But if you were watching that game, he dominated a couple of stretches of it. And he had a couple moments where you could clearly tell that he was in the zone. I tweeted out a couple of video clips of it. And I just thought something that I mentioned the preseason and leading up to it, drafting this guy and just drafting whoever is that when you pick these guys at one, two, three in that range, you need to see it from them in their rookie year. You need to see them have these flashes where they're just dominating games. We've seen that from a lot of guys in this draft, actually Trey young had that huge game. Luka Doncic just had a couple great first quarters. He just needs to work on the other three for now. Um, Marvin mm-hmm. Bagley had that big game. Jaron Jackson juniors actually struggled a little bit, but, but Aiden really had his coming out party against Memphis. I thought he was awesome. And for everyone um, who maybe had doubts about him, like, like me, for example, um, that had doubts about his weaknesses. Uh, I always thought he was going to be a terrific prospect, but just had doubts about his weaknesses to see him just dominate a game like that at the NBA level against guys like Marcus all and Jaron Jackson jr. Who are known for their defense. It was just extremely encouraging that, even as, as a rookie right now where his defense isn't there, there's all these little things he can work on. He can still swing a game. And if that's a team with a point guard and with their best player back, I think the Suns are, are certainly much more competitive and maybe even win that game. But he obviously just didn't really have any help that night. I completely agree. I, I, that's the point that I've made about some of the other draft picks on this team that is such a cause for concern. Like you really do, like you're saying, you have to see guys – be able to at least exceed expectations or perform at what we know they're good at. And I guess that's what Aiton's been doing, even if he has struggled in certain areas. He got in foul trouble a couple times, and he's had some defensive lapses that we knew would come for him as a rookie. But to be able to, to score and dominate good players is, is definitely encouraging. Um, before we move on to flagrant fouls for these two games, which we've already gotten into some, but, you know, some more specific stuff diving into the specifically wanted to tell you guys about the locked on NBA show. We just got a new update there. As far as hosts go, your same favorites from Wes Goldberg to John Corrales to David Locke himself will still be there, but we do have like Evan's been telling you guys about Sam Amick of the athletic and Ben Golliver of sports illustrated hopping on kind of randomly, which is nice uh, different days every week to chime in on the action. There'll be guests throughout the rest of the season, the two of them every single week. So a, a 
in addition to the Suns show that you are hearing right now that we love to have you guys on. The NBA show is, is fantastic as well. There's obviously going to be Suns coverage when this team gets its act together and we, you will hear some coverage from those guys on this team, but definitely listen in for the national coverage as well, because Sam and Ben are two of the best in the business and you will want to hear their thoughts. Alrighty. So without getting too much more negative, I guess, let's try to maybe make this something of more specific stuff. Um, Crawford was actually the guy that I had in mind, but Josh Jackson, I think will be the one that I use today. Um, It's just been, and the live ball turnovers, especially I saw, I think it was a seven seconds or less pods account has been doing a cool thing, like seven plays or less highlighting different stuff. And they had a, a little clip of Jackson's live ball turnovers. And when he, when he's out of it, when he, when he starts playing silly and not focusing, it can get ugly really quickly. And you saw that obviously fouling out tonight. Um, he's, really getting I think Westbrook was was in his head in a big way and a couple different stretches which I get like Westbrook when he gets in rhythm it's it's I can't even imagine going up against that guy but um just the discipline has has been really one of the more disappointing things for me yeah I, I think just seeing him not be able to really just get back to what he was doing at the end of last year and just just going right back to not even where he was. I don't even think he was this bad at the start of last year, to be honest. I think this is the worst we've seen him play in the NBA so far. He he looks like he has no... I can't remember who tweeted this. I'm really bad at remembering uh, who tweets what during games. But someone tweeted that he just seems to completely have lost his sense of where everything is and what he's supposed to be doing on the court as a ball handler. He just seems to be running around and running into walls left, right, and center and just doesn't have a feel for anything like his first dribble, his second dribble, his first read, his second read, his scoring opportunities. There wasn't, I don't think there's been one more than one play a game where I've been like, Whoa, that was an aggressive, strong move. He knew what he wanted there and he, and he got it. And that's something that guys like him as slashers do all the time. Someone like TJ Warren does that all the time. And we just haven't seen that from him. He's he, he's had 11 turnovers this weekend, 11 turnovers in the last two games. And and it's just unacceptable for a guy like him who's not really that high in usage on this team either. He, he's not a guy that's going to dominate possessions for you by any means. And the thing that's interesting to me about this start for him is just how much this team was relying on him. He was supposed to be arguably the third best player on this team, if not the fourth best player on this team. And was supposed to be a guy who you look at the end of his first year, heading into his second year, you think, man, like this is really when he can take the leap. Or in his third year, you would really hope that leap would come because as a four, as a top five pick, he's got to show that top five pick stuff in year two or year three, or else it's really rarely ever going to come on. <clears throat> and this is, I'm not comparing these guys by any means, but Suns fans have been through this before. Marquise Chris had a, a good rookie season. He started, he had, he ended strong in his rookie year. And then just had a brutal second year. And we're seeing it at the start, at least right now, for Josh. I think they're completely different players. I think Josh is an overall better, is at an overall better point right now. But he's just been, would you say he's been the worst player on the team so far in terms of his overall performance? I really liked his defense tonight, at least in the first half when he was guarding Russ and when he was guarding Schroeder. But other than that, like I don't really remember any sequences where I thought he was he was good. <laughs> 
at all. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, if you, if you think about it in terms of volume, I think Crawford probably has been worse. Um, Anderson, maybe it has a claim there, but he's, he's gotten a little better the last three nights. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, especially the amount of responsibility you hoped Jackson could handle as a playmaker, as you pointed out, it's been, it's been pretty awful. One thing, I mean, just because we're on the topic of Jackson, we can go on to your flagrant foul next. Just one last question on him is, what do you think the disconnect has been between preseason? And it's not just Jackson. I think in this, in this way, like there it's her, it's preseason, it's the New Zealand breakers. But if there was anything I would have thought would be an improvement from last year to this year for him, it would have been playmaking based on what we saw in the preseason. He was developing a quick chemistry with DeAndre Ayton. He was, you know, making quick reads as a secondary playmaker off of, you know, dribble handoffs coming off of screens and catching the ball downhill, the types of things that we thought would be so productive for him to get in space and make easier decisions than he had to make last year as like a pick and roll ball handler. So often in Igor Kokoshkov's offense, which has helped so many, you know, secondary tertiary playmakers just develop so quickly to me, at least, it seemed like that was a thing where he's going to really improve at that, if nothing else. And it's been probably the worst thing he's been worst at. He had zero assists tonight. Uh, what do you make of that, especially after what we saw in the preseason? I just think he's he's really lost, and I want to see how he handles Book being back for three to four games and just to have some stability, because uh, hopefully that's what's missing right now. It's just that calming force in the offense that is Booker, and once Aiden is. Uh, with Booker uh, on the court at all times, we're going to, or not at all times, but you, you get what I'm saying? Like they're going to have those two guys out there a whole lot and that should help him. And that should help stabilize his game more than anyone else on the team, because I think he should feel the need to force it less. But with that being said, I think he always feels the need to force it. And I can't understand why we, we saw it at summer league, the old Josh Jackson shot selection came back and we we're just like, ah, oh, it's yeah. just old habits. Like he'll, he'll get rid of it. It's fine. And, we kind of saw it go away in preseason for bits here and there. And it's really come back now. Uh, the stat I just pulled up is that he has a 24 turnover percentage right now. His turnover percentage is 24%. That's the worst number in the league right now. There are only three guys in the league that have at least a 20% t- turnover percentage and only freaking eight guys who have at least a 17% turnover percentage that are qualified for leaderboards. That's how bad his turnovers have been with his usage. And, it's 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 not like you're looking at some of these other guys on this list right now, like Draymond Green and Andre Gudala, who are on this leaderboard, and they obviously contribute well in offenses, and that's not at all what he's doing. But uh, I think it's too early to overreact and say he should be traded or say he should get benched or he should not start anymore. I don't really think it's anything like that. Um, do you have anything else to say before I move on to mine? No, he also, yeah, just to say he had a foul every five minutes this weekend in these two games. Um, fouling out tonight and then three on Saturday as well. That was my <laughs> other little stat, but yes, go ahead with your flagrant foul. Okay. I know the, the whole concept of the flagrant fouls. It's supposed to be something that we didn't like, or that's something that uh, was, was negative, but I'm going to spin this into a positive. So if we were looking at the three point percentage charts right now, six games in and we saw TJ Warren at the top, we would assume that was a negative and we would assume things are going wrong. 
In fact, they are not. Uh, he's shooting 48% from three. I'm sure this is something you guys have talked about. But, but again, dude, today he had that one in the first quarter where they ran a set for him in the corner. And he turned and fired and is just blowing my mind. Rich Anthony's about to have a stroke uh, because of it, basically. And I'm almost there, too, because it's just completely different. I believe you were the one who caught that his old form kind of came back for one of his shots for a quick second. Yeah, in the, but, in the right corner and like the near the end of the third quarter, I think. But then I mean, he had another, on, picking this. at the top of the wing later on. Where, yeah, he had like a pull-up. Yeah, and it's it's not even something where you see Josh Jackson hitting a wide open corner three when no one's within 10 feet of him. He's hitting these with defenders near him. And it's extremely positive to see because what happens with him now is you take this guy who can average 20 points a game on 50% shooting. Those guys are rare enough. And you add a three point shot to that guy. You can take his defensive shortcomings, which have been short uh, this year. I've not enjoyed his defense to say the least this year, but I think he's just such a valuable piece of this team now if he has a three-point shot and more so if teams start to respect his three-point shot because now you can really get some more out of him by playing him with Aiton more, by playing him with Booker more, and that's where I think he starts to become even more valuable, and I think it's just been uh great to see but but i guess we can turn this kind of discussion because i'm sure you guys have talked about tj warren enough into the three-point shooting on the team as a whole uh, ryan anderson has the worst three-point percentage on the team so tj warren's at the top ryan anderson's at the bottom just I like we all guess put the money on it yeah we would have had that flipped anderson shooting 22.7 percent through six games josh jackson's at 25 even some like trevor reese's at 31.4 percent on 5.8 attempts per game it's been it's been pretty ugly so far, and just a, a reason Anderson that they just have to be hitting those shots. It's pretty simple. They're they're out there to be veterans, and they are out there to do more stuff off the dribble than they ever were in Houston. But at the same time, you're primarily a guy who should sh- who has to shoot in this league, yeah. and they're just not doing it right now. Yeah, they're gonna. I, th- I do think they'll regress. That's something that can't be as bad for guys like those two. For um, you know, I expect. We'll see better shooting from, I hope, Jackson. That's not really a given, though. Bridges, as he continues to play more, I think he'll help that percentage kind of go up. Okobo as well, um, especially with his ability to hit off the bounce. I just think they can't possibly be as bad in that category as they have been. But uh, it's been tougher for Booker, too, than I would have expected without the point guard being there. So, you know, he's obviously going to be the main cog as far as the shooting goes. So, you know, I, I think that it is a problem. It's so hard, though, to watch in the moment, like how defenses are treating somebody like Warren. You have to almost go back, like possession by possession, and track how much attention they're giving him. But uh, I, I do think one thing to kind of bridge those two points you made about the shooting as a whole, but but Warren specifically is just that I think he's a guy who really needs to be getting even more minutes with the starting unit, whether that's you know, in Kanan's place, whether that's in Anderson's place, I don't even really think it matters, but he needs to be playing with Booker and even more once Booker comes back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree for sure. And you can, uh, I have my defenses about why Ryan Anderson needs to keep playing this early in the season and why even someone like Isaiah Kanan needs to keep playing this early into the season still. But I, I agree that you can look at Ryan Anderson tonight, for example, he played 31 minutes against OKC and Jeremy Grant was burning him at every opportunity he could. And Jeremy Grant doesn't really do that ever, but he did. And <laughs> Anderson had his 15 points, but 
I just don't think there should really ever be a night where he's playing over 25 minutes with the way he's playing right now. Unless he's hit three of his first four threes and it's clear he's going to have one of those nights where he's not missing, obviously keep him out there. But the, on these nights he's looking at, I think one thing I want to say on him before we change subjects is he has this extremely annoying habit that everyone has picked up on of these dribble drives where he tries to turn into a Dirk fadeaway. And that's ironic because when I wrote my thing in the offseason in Flagstaff about him, I actually included the Dirk one-legged and was like, this guy has this in his repertoire. Check it out. And everyone's been checking it out a little bit too much now (laughs) because he's using it way too much. And the most annoying thing is he does this when Aiton is on his side. There's certain sets they run where Anderson gets space to attack. But it's because they're clearing out space on that end for Aiton to get the ball in the post, and he's driving right at Aiton posting up. Yeah, he's done it in two straight games this weekend, and I'm just like, dog. I, I know you dribbled like three times every 14 games with James Harden and Chris Paul, but you just need to relax and feed the big fella, especially on these in these two games specifically when they need Aiton to get going because Aiton had certain moments where in the fourth quarter against the Thunder and then in two different sequences of the Grizzlies game where it's clear that once he gets one bucket to fall, just one little touch shot, whether it's a hook shot or a jumper, it really gets him going. And that's just why he has to be more opportune. And that's where I look at someone like Kokoshkov and he has to get in there and say like, man, you can't, you can't be doing this. You can do this like once or twice a game, but he did it like five or six times tonight. And I was just doing yeah, really it against the Lakers a lot too. near in the second half of that game. He, I think it's what part of the problem um, that eventually led to new Orleans being okay. Saying goodbye to him. Obviously they have Anthony Davis and he is used pretty similarly, even more of it as an isolation player too. And uh, I think that that problem was definitely a reason that they were okay. Saying goodbye to him. But um, we will move on to our, our stats to watch here in a moment with Kellen Olsen of Arizona Sports. But quickly, before we move on to that, I wanted to one more time let you guys know um, that Evan and I both are interested in partnering with any of you guys for local sales. I know that it gets tiring hearing the national stuff over your airways, especially when it's not done by Evan and I. Or maybe you like the other stuff better. But either way, obviously, local businesses would be way more helpful to hear as ads. If you run one, if you know someone who runs one, please reach out. However you listen to the podcast, um, reach out that way. We monitor all of those from social media to the comment section of Bright Side of the Sun. Don't want to badger you guys too much, but again, just want to let you guys know as often as possible that we are ready and eager to hear from you and make these ads a little more personable than you know the national stuff that maybe you don't get to take advantage of the way you could if it was something right here in Phoenix, knowing that our show is obviously so localized. Most of our listeners come right from Arizona, and if you are somebody who owns a business or works for one in, in Arizona, clearly this is you know a pretty solid place to reach out to those customers. All righty, um, let's go ahead and move on to quickly each one of us a quick stat to watch going into the Spurs and, and the Raptors. Wow. Saying that, (laughs) saying that is depressing, but um, hopefully we'll see Booker back. So we can assume that they'll have a mostly fully healthy squad, depending on what happens with Isaiah Kanan. But what are the numbers that you're looking at heading into this terrible week? Uh, I will tell you in approximately 4.7 seconds. I'm going to keep talking and stalling like you can't tell I'm pulling something up right now. 24.5. 
That is my stat to watch. That is the amount of fast break points the Suns are giving up per game. They had a decent night against the Grizzlies, only giving up 18 fast break points, which is still god-awful, but it was only. still better than 25. But guess what? They gave up 25 tonight against uh. the Thunder. You had the stat of the season so far. This is if this is the end of the season. One of the the stat that's going to stick with me right now, but also gonna, I'm going to remember at the end of the season is when you tweet out, and I couldn't believe it, and I had to go back and look, was that the Lakers scored 15 points in fast break or uh, in transition in the second quarter of that Lakers game. Yep. And the team that had the most transition points allowed per game last year was the Clippers, and they gave up 15 a game last year. So the Suns managed to give that up in a quarter. And to me, that is really where they are just getting themselves down in games because they're giving away way too many free points. And that comes down to turnovers, which I'm going to cheat. I'm going to have my second stat to watch, which is more of just a stat from tonight's game. The Suns had 17 turnovers in the first half. And tonight was a winnable game, in my opinion. You can look at the roster and say that's never winnable without Devin Booker. OKC was not about this game today. They were not about it. Russ, I think, was one of five from the field. I think he scored his first field goal in the second half, I want to say. And, of course, he finished with a really solid line. I think he was eight of 13 on the night as a whole and had 23. But that was a game that was up for grabs. And if you just have seven or eight turnovers at the end of the first half, something still pretty not great but manageable, I think they're in that game or maybe even leading that game. And it was just too many free opportunities And the whole point of what I wrote that I've referenced earlier is that you cannot be a bad defensive team already and then give away so much like they have. And those are really the two areas you have to watch for, especially against great teams like the Raptors and the Spurs. Those are both solid. Yeah. When I actually think your stat was better when you found that the Clippers were the worst and did that 15 in an entire game on average and the Suns did it in a quarter. To me, that obviously jumped out as like, holy crap, that's a lot. That's obviously why I tweeted it, but I would never have guessed that it was comparable to the league worst mark for the game last year. But my my number would be, hold on, as I, and I'm doing the same thing, checking to see if it holds up. Yeah, so again, I, I mean, 15 is the number I was going to use, which is the amount of rebounds Nerlens Noel had today. Um, it's what's called the Damian Jones curse for the Suns for right now. Um, but what's funny, and it's something I highlighted with Evan the other day too, it looks like the Suns are getting torn apart on the boards every night. And on the offensive glass, that has somewhat been true, I suppose. There's been individual guys who have kind of impacted the game with their offensive rebounding, Damian Jones obviously being one of them, and Nerlens tonight had six. But the Suns out-rebounded the Thunder, and that's been a trend. Um, you know, Aiton's been a double-digit guy all season for the most part, except for that Denver game. And it has still looked like he's losing when he isn't. Um, consistently, at least he's, he's, you know, been getting a fair amount of rebounds. He's been on the offensive glass a decent amount and the Suns as a team are, you know, at least league average last I checked as, as a just, you know, defensive rebounding team, they've struggled actually mostly more than anything, offensive rebounding their own misses, but they out rebounded the thunder today. That's just, it's such an interesting little thing. And I don't even necessarily know what to make of it, but it just happened again tonight where one individual guy just feasted on the glass and yet the Suns as a team out rebounded 
you know, you just see how bad they, I guess really what it highlights is they've been so bad on in fast break. They've been so bad defending in transition, but that's entirely live ball turnovers. It's not defensive rebounds, push up the court with an outlet pass. It's entirely their own mistakes causing those problems. So I looked this up while you were talking and the Suns are actually have the second best mark in the league at opposing offensive rebounds. And it sounds like I'm bringing this up to just, credit your point but i'm actually doing the opposite and basically what i'm saying is those offensive rebounds feel so much more meaningful because of what you just referenced which is how many free points they're giving away on live ball turnovers and just all these open defensive mistakes that when there's an offensive rebound or a ball bounces the other way and then the opponent scores off that it feels so much more substantial when someone like damian jones or nerland Noel, especially is doing it when you expect DeAndre to be getting the better of them and just eating the defensive glass as a whole. And I think that's where you look at just across the, the game in terms of something to look forward to for the next two games, like we're kind of talking about here and just seeing if that's one area of the game that they can actually contain. So which statistically they have done through six games, but at the same time, this is a game that if you look at Nerland's Noel, six offensive rebounds, I'm sure at least three or four of those turned into a bucket for, the thunder and then you add in all the turnovers and that's how you lose by what they should have lost by, which is 20. They got it to a seven point game because they scored 34 in the fourth. But that kind of just speaks to what you were exactly talking about, which is, this is just another area where they can really get their back broken. And that's where they have to improve and cut out really all those areas of their game. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, San Antonio will be tough. Marcus Aldridge is one of the most physical rebounders in the league. I don't know if he's been statistically amazing this year, but that's a tough matchup for Aiton individually. And I think actually Toronto though, they play small that, I mean, that'll provide its own challenges. They're going to be just as devastating in, in fast break opportunities as, you know, LA Golden State, Denver, Dallas, but uh, OKC as well. They played a pretty bad group of teams to have such bad transition defense against Toronto will be no different, but is there anything uh, you wanted to plug besides, you know, Twitter? And I'm sure if people don't know who you are, they should be embarrassed, but um, go ahead and tell people where they can find your work. Nah, come on, man. Don't, don't say that kind of stuff. Uh, My name's Kellen. I am at Kellen Olson on Twitter, K-E-L-L-A-N-O-L-S-O-N. I am a writer and editor and reporter for ArizonaSports.com. We have our own little Suns blog called Empire of the Suns. If you put in Empire of the Suns on Twitter, that is our handle. And we do our own little Suns podcast as well that if you have not had the chance to listen to yet, come hang out. Or if you just really got sick of me by the end of this, you're probably not even listening anyway. So for those of you listening, go check it out. For sure. They do great work. Him and Kevin Zimmerman over there. You guys should be reading that in addition to their podcast is great as well. Alrighty. Um, I'm sure we will have Kellen back at some point during this season. We love having him on. Hopefully this guy, this gives you guys a little taste of what to expect. You'll hear tonight tomorrow um, as we continue to preview these two games this week and uh, wrap up what has been a pretty bad opening stretch for the Suns. So tune in tomorrow. You will hear from us again, as always, five days a week. And Evan will be back. All righty, guys. See you tomorrow.